everybody. It's comedian Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week, I have a cool guest, and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. In every single one of these conversations, I learn a great deal, and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal, too. So uh, hang on tight, and thanks for listening to The Generators. Welcome to episode three of the Generators podcast with me, Trent McClellan. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I really do. I hope you're uh, you're good wherever you are. I hope you're well. I am uh, recording this uh, right now at Trent's Comedy World Headquarters here in Calgary, Alberta. Um, level two, uh, unit six. Just to make it sound like it's more important than it actually is. And uh, I just watched the Pittsburgh Penguins lift the Stanley Cup. I don't really give a shit, personally. Um, I'm a hockey fan, but I kind of thought it would have been cool for Nashville to win it. You know, since they have all the, the excitement there in Nashville and Smashville. But uh, it wasn't to be. And the old Wiley veteran Penguins pulled out of the fire. So, um, what's that? Three cups for Crosby? Four for Kunitz? That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. People in the league with none, and Chris Kunitz has four. Man, alive. Good on him. Good on him. Found a way to get it done, you know? So that's happening. Hockey's officially over, and now uh, I guess we're stuck with baseball and the remaining 179 games, I guess, uh, you'll have to suffer through. I just can't do it. I'm not uh, not a b-ball fan, but whatever. Um it's been a uh, crazy week for me, uh, obviously. Um, uh, this episode of the podcast, I have my uh, my guest, Lachlan Patterson, my buddy. Uh, we recorded it down in Bellevue, Washington a number of months ago. And I've kind of just sat on it f- uh, for a while until, uh, until now. Uh, but something else I sat on for about a month was um, my addition to... This hour has 22 minutes as a uh, on-air, part of the on-air team. Going to be doing a little bit of cor- correspondent stuff and uh, some sketch stuff, perhaps. And uh, whew, I don't know what to say. It was absolutely mind-blowing when I got the um, when I got the news. I was in, ironically, I was in my hometown of Cornerbrook a little over a month ago, and I was I was taping something else, and. Um, when I was there, I was talking to these two two students who were just, you know, at the site helping out with the shoot that day. And uh, one, I think, was a, a technical student, like, doing, you know, the technical aspects of of uh, staging and those kind of things. And someone else was an acting student. So <clears throat> I got there early, and I'm just kind of talking to them about the entertainment business. And I remember saying to them, the crazy thing about being in entertainment in general is that you have to accept the facts and be comfortable with the fact that 
a phone call, an email can change your life. Like it, it's just the way it works in a good way, in a bad way. It's just, you're an email away from things changing drastically. You know, you thought you're going to be one place and now you're going to be somewhere else. Um, your life and your, and things are constantly filling in, in that way. And I, I remember having that conversation and then literally 90 minutes later, my phone goes off and it's my agent calling me and telling me that, uh, 22 minutes has made me an offer. And I like, didn't see it coming. It was kind of out of the blue. I mean, I'd done some writing stints there with them that I really enjoyed, uh, some incredibly talented people there. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot every time I went there, but to get offered kind of an on-air situation like that, I just didn't see it coming. And so it was kind of overwhelming where you almost feel like this isn't happening to you. It's like you're outside yourself watching it happen to somebody else. That's what it kind of felt like. So I immediately was just like, can you, can you email me this offer? Like I need to see this. I need to read it. Cause it wasn't, my mind wasn't absorbing the words that she was saying in through the earpiece of the phone. Like I couldn't, for some reason just couldn't absorb it. So she sent me the email and I got to read through it. And then, um, it was just surreal. I mean, obviously I couldn't tell too many people. Um, obviously I told my wife told, you know, uh, some close family members and a friend or two, but, it was just one of those things I had to sit on until the contract and stuff was finalized. But, you know, I don't know. I was just full of emotion at the time because, you know, here I am back in my hometown that, uh, you know, I grew up in and I'm on Broadway where I spent so many years and hours of my life, you know, formative years when I get this email and I mean, or phone call, you just don't, you can't perceive those things like there's no way you can predict that like it was just almost like a full circle moment I mean I I obviously I don't really believe in you know there's a making it stage in your life I think everything is just a doorway to another that leads to another room and in that room there's another door you got to open and then you get into that room and you open another door like it never ends so I know that I just got to go there and put my head down and work really really hard and just do the best I can just like you would in any other project that you undertake but Obviously, it is a big opportunity uh, for me, and, I, and it's not lost on me. So I just want to thank anyone out there who's ever <laughs> laughed at anything I've ever said or given me an encouraging word along the way, um, anyone who's ever given me stage time, anyone who's ever given me a dollar to perform comedy and share the silly thoughts that I think of in my head, um, anyone who's driven any distance to come see a show, anyone who's bought tickets, shared videos, um anyone has had a kind word to say to me at any point in my life, whether it was comedy related or a soccer coach or a teacher or a friend, a family member, um, you're all kind of a part of this, um, in a way, I don't think anyone does anything alone. And I, I surely haven't uh, done it alone. So very grateful to the Calgary comedy community and, uh, everything they've done. I, I, I started standup comedy here in Calgary. The first time I ever walked on stage was in this city. And, uh, the community has been nothing but welcoming to me and supportive, and I think it's quietly gone about becoming one of the hottest scenes, I think, anywhere um, in terms of the talent, the camaraderie, um, the different array of comedy, the variety of it, uh, some of the best rooms anywhere, um, both comedy clubs and just independent rooms. So it's it's put itself on the map, I think, as a as a vibrant comedy community and and uh, a lot of fantastic ideas and, and creatives coming out of here for sure. And um, 
so yeah, I was just kind of um, overwhelmed by it all, and uh, I had just one of these moments. I was flying back from from my hometown back to Calgary, and I'm sitting on the plane, and you know, I'm this news is just kind of bouncing around in my head, and uh, this song comes on my iPod called "Out of the Blue" by the Philosopher Kings. And it's a song about a guy falling in love and he doesn't see it coming and it's kind of, you know, out of the blue, this happens. And I remember, like, just looking at the window of the plane at the time and we're above the clouds and the sky is perfectly blue and I just start crying. <laughs> like, I was just like, it just, I don't know, just the emotion and the the gravity of of all that hit me in that moment and again this thing came out of the blue for me and I just literally like started crying and now I'm facing the window of this plane and I'm trying to keep facing that way because I don't want the person next to me to think that I'm losing it so I'm trying to maintain some level of dignity while this song is pounding in my ears and I'm like full of this emotion and it's just oh man it was just surreal it's like you it's it's hard to kind of process and uh again it's the craziest thing about i think if you're an entrepreneur in general or i think anybody out there who's just kind of rolling the dice and throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks i mean you just don't know when opportunities are coming you don't know what tomorrow looks like or next week or what phone call you're going to get or what email it's like you just continue to create and put out content and work hard and then you just try and have faith and hope that opportunities are going to come along the way. It's just kind of the way it works and you just kind of have to accept that that's the way it is. Uh, it's really, really hard sometimes because we want things to kind of happen in our timeline, but it, it just doesn't happen that way. So you just kind of kind of enjoy the process and, and enjoy what you're doing every single day. Believe that you're doing the right thing, continuing to learn and, and just go forward and plow forward. And it's uh, for all the comedians out there that are doing it, there's 10 times as many who quit because they just, they got tired of the grind. They got tired of, of, you know, maybe it was financial insecurity. Maybe it was the travel. Maybe it was not being able to maintain a relationship, whatever it was, there was something that just, that eventually meant more to them than, than doing this comedy thing and chasing this dream. And I get it. It, it, it's, it's really, really tough, and it gets really, really hard sometimes. But, again, there's always a faith that a big break is around the corner. And one of the the uh, one of the things that I found really inspirational is that show, um, The Actor's Studio, with, uh, with Morgan Freeman. And I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous episode or not, but about he talks about, you know, he's getting interviewed by or getting questions from these students, these new acting students, and one guy asked him, he goes, you know, you weren't always Morgan Freeman as we know you right now. You were a struggling actor at one point. So what advice do you have to us as, as you know, new actors about how to go about the business? And he was like, you know, you just got to keep dancing. You just got to keep moving your feet. He goes, every time I wanted to quit, somebody would give me, you know, a small role that would kind of allow me to make a little bit of money to just, you know, make sure I could pay my bills and my rent and have food. Um, Sometimes someone would give me a free meal somewhere that would be enough to kind of keep me going. But he just said, I realize that as long as I keep working hard and I keep putting my effort in, then someone's always going to give me an opportunity. There's always a chance that I will get an opportunity. But the minute that you quit, 
that's it. It's over. There are no more opportunities coming. So it's kind of up to you to drive it. It's up to you to keep your feet moving. And then with that, you hope that that kind of momentum leads to something uh, down the road and that, you know, opportunities arise. So it's, it, uh, I always found that really inspirational because we look at people who have had success and it's easy to see in the successful moment, okay, yeah, look, that's great, that's awesome. But I find you learn far more during the moments of struggle, during the moments of when things don't go your way. That's, that to me is, is where you learn and that's where you learn someone's level of perseverance to push through and to try and get to the other side. And, and it's, we've all got our own battles. We've all got our own obstacles that are in our way. Some of them are actually physical in reality and others of them might just be things that we've kind of put in our head, mental blocks that prevent us from getting to where we want to get to. So um, I think all this kind of encompasses all that. It's like, you know, and again, this is just an opportunity. It could come and go very quickly or, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but it's just about trying to seize the moment and enjoy it and put the work in and see what happens. And that's all I can do at this point. So again, grateful to every single person that reached out to me on social media. Um, I apologize. I couldn't get back. It was just, I've never had an outpouring like that of, of anything I've ever <laughs> put out there. I mean, in terms of um, the comments and, and the likes and the private messages people were sending me and uh, emails and texts. I mean, it was just, it really was overwhelming. Um, so I want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart um, for the support. It's uh, It uh, definitely did not go unnoticed, so I, I, I sincerely thank you for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, looks like I'm going to be living in Halifax come September. So uh, hello, East Coast. I'm kind of coming home in some way. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, to partake, to partake in this. Um, my guest this week is Lachlan Patterson. And Lachlan's a comic who's originally from, I'm pretty sure he's from Vancouver originally, but uh, has been living in Los Angeles for the last number of years. And, you know, Lachlan and I worked together um, on a bunch of horrible road gigs a number of years ago before he moved to Los Angeles. And, excuse me, I've kind of been following his career from a distance over the last number of years. And... He's been inspiring to me in a lot of ways because he's always been a guy who I think realized that he needed he needed to take some risks. He had to pack up and move and go to L.A. and he wanted to really put it out there and see what he could do. And a lot of people talk about doing that stuff, but he actually pulled the trigger on it and was like, no, I'm going to go and I'm willing to put up with the struggle and put in the hours and see what can happen. And... You know, he was a finalist on Last Comic Standing um, and last season and the season before. And, you know, one of the greatest things I think I've ever learned, especially in entertainment, is that, again, you have to take one accomplishment and then use that as a platform to try and create another opportunity for yourself. I realize that quite often when something good happens to you in your career, quite often you can just sit back and go, okay, well, that's that that should be enough. And really all those things are, are another, those opportunities are just another key to open another door. And, uh, I think the person I learned that the most from was Jerry D and kind of seeing during his time with last comic standing, how he used that to then start a tour. And from that tour, he then, you know, wrote a TV show and pitched that and, and wrote it all and, and the ideas and pitched that to CBC. And then he wrote a book and then, you know, he was doing the score sports reporting stuff. It's like he always was just moving on to the next thing. It was always next, next, next. 
There was no resting on laurels. There was no resting on past accomplishments. And I think anybody who's successful, relatively successful, you know, um, that we, I think a society would, would deem successful. I think this, if you look behind the curtain quite often, there's just a really high work ethic and high drive. You just can't, there's very little rest time. There's very little celebration time. It's like you just move on to the next thing. And I think Jerry is a great example of that. And I think Lachlan's got a bit of that in him too, I think, where it's just, okay, I have this opportunity. What am I going to do with it? How do I keep moving forward? And so it was really cool to catch up with him. We did this interview, I think, um, pre-show, I think on a Saturday in Bellevue, Washington. So this is at a club called Parlor Live uh, in Bellevue. And if you've never been to Bellevue, it's just across the water from Seattle. Beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, gorgeous place. Um, club is really, really nice as well. And, um, yeah, we kind of shot this just before. So you're going to hear, like, a server come in at one point and offer us, like, drinks and stuff. And there's another comedian just there kind of hanging out. The host, Matt, he's hanging out there. So we give a we're, – we're talking to him at one point. So it's kind of a, a little scattered there at, at one point. But uh, we get into some creativity. We talk about comedy, about joke writing, about process. And uh, he's got some really good insight. Our styles are very different. Lachlan's uh, – Got a really kind of slow and deliberate delivery. And I, I mentioned to him how not seeing him live in a long time, it was really cool to kind of sit back and watch him just do what he does. And the way he does it. it's a very unique delivery and cadence. And uh, it was really cool to kind of sit back and watch that because I hadn't seen him live in a number of years since he's been living in L.A. And uh, it was really, really cool of that. And, and so prior to this conversation, we'd hung out actually earlier that day and went for coffee and just done some writing. And quite often comedians will do that where you just go, you have some ideas, you got a rough idea of a bit, but you want to bounce it off another comedian. Sometimes they've got some ideas or angles that may help to the bit. Um, and maybe it grows. And, uh, when I first started, we would do that all the time. You know, a bunch of us would sit around with just premises and, and fire them off to each other and kind of see where we could go with it. And guys would give you tags or different lines for jokes and you do the same for theirs. And the cool thing about that is then when they went to do the show, when you watched them, you felt invested in their act because you kind of helped shape a certain bit. You gave some advice or you gave a little line here or there. So we all kind of felt like we were all part and parcel of each other's acts in some way, shape or form. So we did a little bit of that that day. And uh, I think we actually um, we worked on a bit, one of my bits, actually, I think earlier that day at the coffee shop that I think I later was able to use and found some legs with it. So. It's one of the great things when you have comedians who uh, can kind of throw stuff on the table like that. And, and uh, it's almost like you're in these, one of these think tanks, I guess, with two comedians where they kind of try and figure out well, how do you make this funny? And, you know, does this work? Does this line work? How does it go? So we did that earlier in the day. And then this is just our conversation, um, our conversation later that night because we were, we we're kind of in a bit of a rush because the show was going to start um, in about a half an hour's time. So we we're kind of, kind of against the clock a little. But uh, it was so great to catch up with them. Um, he, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm really proud of, of everything he's accomplished in Los Angeles. And, and he's a guy who's, uh, like I said, swung for the fence and, and really gone for it and has developed a bit of a following now in the U.S. as well. And it's been really kind of cool to see and watch that transformation over time. So uh, uh, I'm excited for him. I think you'll, you'll uh, grab lots of stuff uh, out of this interview as well and in terms of creativity and process and, and, uh, and how he kind of goes about his work. And we compare notes a little bit. Um, again, thanks so much to everybody for all the support. Um, up to this point in my career i uh i don't think again you do anything alone and um it's there's so many little small acts of kindness and generosity that you uh get to 
um, I guess, be the center of that kind of gets you to this point in your life and your career. And uh, it's, uh, I, I could not be more grateful, honestly. It's one of the most, um, there's no other word for it. Gratitude is a thing that just keeps coming up time and time again uh, for me to, to have this opportunity and to, to get the outpouring of support and stuff that I did um, from people. It was, uh, it was, it was overwhelming. There was a number of messages and stuff that just, again, brought me to tears. I was like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. This is just, uh, just a flood of uh, emotion, I guess. But it, um, it was a pretty, a pretty cool moment in a, in a career uh, that I hope everyone out there, if you're following your dreams, that you get to experience in some way, shape, or form at some point in your life. Um, I think everyone, I think everyone deserves that at some point. Um, also, uh, don't forget show dates. I hit um, Labrador City and Goose Bay this weekend. Going tickets are going pretty fast, apparently. So thanks to everybody up there who are uh, coming to the show. I'm really excited to get up there and uh, do my thing at those two venues. And then the following weekend, uh, I'm at Edmonton on the 23rd of June. Um, at the Royal Alberta Museum Theater, and I'm uh, at Grand Prairie the following night, June 24th, at the Douglas J. Cardinal Theater. So, uh, yeah, tell your friends in those areas, if you could, that uh, I'm coming through and let them come out for a night of uh, absolute silliness. So, again, thanks, everybody, uh, and all the feedback on the first two podcasts. I hope you uh, you really, really um, have been enjoying them, and thanks for downloading them. Don't forget to write a review at the end of them if you're really enjoying it. And give it a give it a shout out. And uh, thanks to all you folks who are sharing the information with everybody else. I really do appreciate that. And now here is my conversation with my good friend, Mr. Lachlan Patterson. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground, got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte each and every day to play away. I can't get her out of my mind. I think about the girl all the time. East side to the west side, pushing back right. Because you do no the wind sock and breathe a lot more. Oh, look at this. It works. It's actually working. You want to turn that off? Is it on? Something's on. Oh, oh it's the air conditioning. This is professional, huh? This is a good start. Just don't let that one on, right? Was that? I don't know. We're pretty good. I think we're good. Um, thanks for doing this, dude. You're welcome. Uh, how was the salad, by the way? Uh, it was delicious. Don't you want to do like a introduction or anything? I'll fix that, dude. We'll do that in post. I'll do it. That's uh, what, what would it sound like? It would go like... Just because I've never heard the show before. It would go... Hey guys, welcome to the Generators. I'm Trent McClellan, and on today's show we have the hilarious Lachlan Patterson. And Lachlan and I and I would do like talk about a brief over summary of what we talked about, and then we'd actually get into it. And the Generators is the name of the, the podcast? Generators, yeah. People who generate anything. It could be anything, any kind of creative work or non-creative work or anybody who interests me in any kind of capacity. So that's kind of the, the idea, the gist of it. Well, I'm excited to see what we generate. <laughs> I also am very generatable, excitable. Um, it was cool hanging out with you today. You know what I realized after we left the coffee shop was that we were sitting at a table surrounded by women with babies while we wrote jokes about babies. Like that seemed like kind of a dick move after I realized. They have, there's so much gold in the woman taking care of the child all by herself. Come in. Yeah, oh, I get If you it. don't mind, I ordered pizza. 
He has pizza coming too. Lachlan Thank Patterson you. You needs a lot right of calories to perform. Thank you very much. Of the table. It looks delicious. I don't think so. We're fine. What's your Thank name? Thank you so much. Thanks, Dara. Dara. I'm, I'm Lachlan. Nice to meet you. Hey, how are you? Cool. Are you Trent. I'm Trent. Nice to meet you. Hi, how are you? How are things? See you later. Thanks so much. See you later. Bye bye. See you. Um, Dara. Yes. So I realized afterwards, I, was like, yeah. I think that was kind of a dick move because she doesn't know we're comedians. She just thinks we're two morons sitting at a table Dude. making fun of babies. But we were. were she, we? What she was doing is she was helping us. Were we? F- I don't think we were specifically offensive to anyone. No. I think we were making f- light of what parenting is really like. Yes, and she's sitting there listening to all this, contemplating her decision to be a parent. <laughs> That's what I thought about afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys had some good points, and I, she is a pain in the ass. You know, I, I had dreams. I had things that I wanted to accomplish in life, and she, she's going to talk to her husband about giving the child up for adoption maybe or something, like after, we, after she overheard what we talked about. Oh, this neighborhood is very pro-baby. It was very, yeah, it is a very trendy mom neighborhood. We're in Bellevue, Washington, for those of you who don't know where we are, and we're Literally 45 minutes before showtime, hanging out. Last night's show was good. I enjoyed it. Like, it was uh, f- it was fun. It was um, a good play crowd. You could kind of do what you wanted to do. You know what I saw, noticed last night, because I haven't done a show with you in a long time, was your ability to kind of just sit in the pocket and not be sped up. Like, you're like that quarterback who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm right here, and you're not going to chase me out of it. Like, your cadence and your pacing. And it was really cool to watch, because I kind of forgot about your ability to do that. Thanks, man. Yeah. I love watching that quarterback. Who's just like... Who just knows that the world is collapsing around him, <laughs> but he knows he's confident enough that he's going to get the ball off. Yeah. It's not a... It's not... You're not going to speed me up. I'm going to stay right here. And then I think the magic of that, too, is like you bring them to you. Like, they're going to adapt to your pace, regardless of what's on ahead of you. Mm-hmm. It's Because now I think there's just this real trend towards... Super high energy, everything's fast paced comedically. I mean, you know, like that's a real thing where I'm just going to p- overpower them with energy. And I, I love that you're kind of a throwback to kind of these words are important. There's an economy to the language of it. And I'm going to let it do its work. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the a receivers cool will get open if you're patient. Yeah. yeah. You'll find them eventually. Trust your defense. Trust, trust your offensive line. Trust the actual defense. So, how many years for stand up for you now? This is going into year what? I guess I'm at 18. Are you serious? Yes. And 18, and uh, there's, it's not easier. There's just new challenges. They say another level, another devil. I heard that saying earlier That's this year. That's a great way to say it. Isn't that great? Where'd you hear that? I think a black guy said it Did somewhere. I say that? I think maybe you said it. I didn't say but it. But you were black when you said it. You had a black... <laughs> Had a black swagger when you said it. <laughs> yeah, Trent is another level. Another devil. <laughs> I am the worst. Even when, like, I can't do a black guy accent without sounding racist. Like deep South. Yeah. Another level. Another devil. You, see, <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you're mocking somebody else. We have Alex uh, checking in on us. Hi, Alex. Uh, how are you? Good. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. It's uh, <laughs> welcome to Generator. Okay. We're we're on the generators right now. Yeah, so well, yeah, we welcome. We also have Matt in the in the showroom as Matt's well. Matt's the host, and he's just kind of hanging out, just going through his set list. It's so cool if you could see this. He's just sitting there, going through his notes, and I can tell he's like, "Listen to these two idiots, idiots just running down." It's like you're the producer, like you just sit in the booth, like just speed it up, speed it up. 
Yeah, we've got another podcast. We've Thanks, got buddy. another podcast. We're doing. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We've got another one called the Escalators. We're doing after this generators podcast. So we've got to we've got to get moving. Doing a podcast junket. <laughs> a podcast junket. Uh, eighteen years, and you started in Vancouver, right? Mm-hmm. Did you think you'd ever get to the eighteen year mark when you went on stage the first time? No, I didn't think I'd get to ten. I remember when I first started. I ran into Barry Katz once, and he was—he was very taken with me. And the moment he saw me, he gave me his business card and said, "Call me." And then I went to meet with him. I was very excited. I was brand new. And I went to his office, and I was excited about all the magic that was going to happen. And he said to me, he invited me in the room, and he sat me down, and he said something about the business. And then he said, how long have you been doing it? And I said, about three years. And he said come back and see me in 10 years <laughs> and then he said i gotta take this call <laughs> and i remember thinking well that's that's not gonna happen better put that in my calendar 10 years i'm not waiting 10 years for success and i just i really thought i was going to be an overnight success i really thought that that's what i thought it, an overnight success was a true thing and now i realize there's no such thing as an overnight success there is only people who work their ass off that you never heard of and then all of a sudden you heard of them and it just assumed it was them it was their fault but in actual fact you're the only one who didn't you know just because you didn't know who they were doesn't mean they were nobody right they were always working they were always building the transition from uh comedian uh to uh, an okay comedian to great comedian isn't overnight. It's it takes a long time and it takes a lot of work and and it took me a long time to realize that. And actually, 18 years is by accident. I really didn't plan on going this long without a lot of success. I always thought I'd be more successful than I am. I'm sure we all feel that way. Yeah. So if someone ever said to me, <coughs> "You're an overnight success," I'd be like, "No, I. Yeah. Unfortunately, I I wanted to be." <laughs> What's the plan? But I'm going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. Well, it's true, because I, I think I heard Barry Katz said to a comedian one time, you know, what if I told you you're going to be revered by your peers, you're going to get, you know, the super-duper development deal from the network, uh, you're going to produce our specials that are going to be considered the greatest of all time, um, you're going to have the full meal deal with the network where you get to, you know, write the show, create it, cast it, edit it, star in it, would you take all these things? And the comic's like, yeah, definitely. And he's like, okay, but what if I told you it'll take 20 years to get there? And I think that's what people don't realize, I think, in the entertainment world, and if you're outside it especially, is that it's about perseverance. It really is like just, you know, that whole, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but I think it's so true, you know? Yeah. I, I did the same thing. My first time on stage, I thought, book the arenas. Like, clearly, <laughs> clearly I'm ready right. for a world tour. And then it's just a roller coaster of up and down and failure and... You, uh, but it's about the folks who just persevere the most, I think. I think so. I think that it's just the people who can take the licks. And because there's the thing you didn't mention there, which is what if I tell you you could do all those things and be great and it'll take 20 years. And on top of that, a lot of people will hate you. Right. Are you prepared for that? Because the bigger you get, the more 
hateful people you're going to find who are going to pick apart what you're doing and find holes in your in your story. Right. So, and they're going to be watching you a lot closer. And if you go up now, I get to go up and perform, and I can do jokes that I did a year ago. But when you get really good and you get everyone's eyes on you, there's an expectation to work harder. People I've are like, I've heard that joke before. He's not original. I'm not watching him anymore. Right. And they feel better about themselves because nobody is that great to them. Like that pedestal, they knock you off that pedestal so they feel better. That's what that's what hating does for you. If you hate on people, it feels good because you can find holes. But anyway. No, I agree. It's like it's it's one of the things that we talked about this earlier today over coffee was that especially in the comedy world, I think you can look at someone else's success and feel threatened by it. And you kind of feel like, oh, well, let's find a real quick dismissive way to kind of address how that person got that level of success in your eyes. Ah, they know so and so or they're managed by so and so or whatever. And then you don't have to change your process at all. You just kind of, you know, clearly I'm doing all I can do. And this person's just got some inroads that I don't have. And you just sit in that bitterness forever. And there's a really cool moment when you can get to a point where you can be genuinely happy for someone else's success and go, man, that guy busts his ass. Or she works hard. She's at open mics every night. And, yeah, she's got this opportunity. And be actually happy for that person, you know, and, and recognize the work that they put into it. But it's hard to find that sometimes. You know? Totally. There's... Uh, but it all evens out in the end. The, the cream will always rise. I keep telling myself that. Yes. That gets me through some of the, you know, more frustrating times in this business. Just just hang in there. Eventually, people will understand your strategy. Yeah, <coughs> I agree. I think, we talked about this earlier, too. I think the real joy is in kind of just enjoying the process itself. Like, when you come up with, like, I was in the shower this morning, and I thought about this new bit about dolphins. And I'm like genuinely excited to go on stage in about a half an hour and try this bit on dolphins. Now, it might suck and die a horrible death, but it might not. It might be awesome. It might be my new favorite bit. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the journey of the comedian. Like push your baby out into the world and go, it's going to be accepted and loved by everyone. Or it could be beat up and have its you know lunch money taken and it's going to be bullied for the rest of its life. Who knows? But... I think that's where the real joy is in that creative process. Like that's the things you can control, your work ethic, your output, creating new ideas, and that's the joy. The other stuff in the industry you can't really control, you know. Right. So it's like just in, enjoy the part that you can control. Yeah, you can really only control the the few minutes you're on stage. Yeah. And even that sometimes you can't Someone will bring you a drink in the middle of your punchline and just hold it in front of the whole crowd <laughs> while you try to <laughs> deliver this joke. Here, drink this. And not wait for you to finish the <laughs> joke, even though they work in a comedy club and they should be familiar with the structure of a punchline and know uh, how to wait. But it can happen. It can happen. You mm -hmm. can have someone yell something out at any moment. You don't know, you know? And that's where I think you can get really bitter when you're like, oh, this is the joyous part of the day, like that Louis C.K., that show. And he's talking about, like, that's the happiest part of their day is that time on stage. And then someone can ruin that so quickly by just yelling something out in the moment. And it's like, oh, well, this day's a write-off. I guess this is over for me. <laughs> I hate my life right now. It's uh, hard. That, that last night said, if we're talking about it, was very challenging for me. I, I really... I didn't, my flow was off. I think I jumped between two sections of my set that made it very not smooth. 
Very not smooth. Very not smooth. Well, it's interesting you said that, though, because this happens all the time. Like, you know that because you know you're acting. You know where you're going. But they don't know that. But did right. you feel like they knew that? Like the audience felt you were j- jumping around too much? Or no. Or you just knew in your own head? It's funny how, like, the audience, as much as they're there and, and they're there and they're having a great time, your experience on stage is for you. And you need them and they need you for this experience. But you know when you screwed up a joke. You know the qu- the level that that joke can get. And if you don't get that, you you put that a little... You, you grade it as you go along. You're grading your whole set as you're telling these jokes. And you're looking for a great grade. We're always trying to have the best set of our lives. Right. When there was a point when I think I realized that this wasn't going to be those <laughs> one of those. Right. When they didn't get my jokes, too, that I, I personally, when I wrote, giggled. Right. When they don't get the ones that you really find funny... It sucks because you've just, I don't know, you get this idea that you have this connection with the audience, it, with with life, with people, with the world. That's what we're trying to do. And then when people don't connect with you, you are shocked sometimes because you thought, oh, this was, right. I connected. Yeah. And when they don't, you just... I mean, it's obviously something we all go through as stand-up comedians. You tell a joke that doesn't work, that you thought would work, and you stare at the audience thinking that they're at fault. Right. They're not at fault. The joke just wasn't as funny as you thought it was. Well, I heard John Mayer talk about music the same way, about, like, you know, you put an album out, you decide which song is going to be the single, and you're kind of like, everyone stand back, this one's going to take off, this is the greatest song I've ever written, and it goes up and just kind of flops quickly. It's like... The audience always decides. It's almost like the audience is always smarter than you. You know, they're going to pick and take what they want. I mean, I've had bits that I thought, man, this is as good as I'm, I've ever written. This bit is solid. It's economical. There's some physicality to it. Everything that I like in bits. And I go up there and it does okay. But then some other throwaway bit that I thought of on the bus or something is like it kills. And I'm like, but what about the thing that I crafted and I whittled and I would put so much care into they don't care they legitimately it's just like no that other thing resonates when you make the fart noise and I we find that (laughs) hilarious yeah so you lose that you can lose that trust in your instincts I think at some point which makes you kind of insecure I think can well the other thing too is one you just worked harder at and just because you worked harder at it doesn't mean it's more talented you sometimes talent is just a good fortune Uh, something sometimes jokes just land on your lap yeah. Sometimes jokes land on your lap that are better than the ones you spent hours on. Exactly. Unfortunately, usually the ones that you spent hours on uh, are longer and designed to take up more time and get more laughs. And the ones that land on your lap are usually quicker. And you need a lot more of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I, so- I think sometimes, too, you can overcook it. You can overcook the soup. Sure. It's like I, I feel like this in myself sometimes. I need to get out of the way of the bit. Like... Just let it do what it's supposed to do. I'm like, no, I can fix this and make it better, and it can be this, and I have this callback to whatever. And sometimes it's like, no, man, as is, the first way you did it was fine, and it resonates. And so sometimes it's a bit of that. Liz Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, that the book, that you know, this yeah. big movie, she has a cool book called Big Magic, which talks about creativity and where ideas come from. Yeah. And she really believes like ideas are kind of just out there floating around in the universe. And if you're the type of person who's open to 
to receiving them, whether you're a writer or a musician or a comedian, that they'll they'll come to you. But you have to listen and be ready for them. And uh, if you're not, they go on to someone else, you know. And so that kind of explains, you know, parallel thought in comedy where we go like, man, I had a bit exactly like that. I was going to do it. And I saw some other guy did it almost the same way. It's kind of that explanation of that, of parallel thought, you know. So oh, I like that. You know, where do ideas come from? Like, what for you, what's your process? Like, where... Where are you most creative, do you find? Is there a time of day? Is there a process in terms of how you generate material? I, I'm on all day thinking, reading. I read hopefully some decent news. And I, I'm, I'm an observationalist, I think. I look for, you know, I'll walk through a store and gather information from a store or from a conversation. I... I keep my notepad with me and anything that, you know, anything that I just feel, I write down. But if you listen to my material, it just, I mean, I talked about, you know, the Secretary of Defense has to be the toughest job being, defending the entire nation against a terrorist attack and being a secretary. (laughs) That just came from looking at the word Secretary of Defense, like it's got the word secretary in it. Yeah. And I thought, you know, they should call him Minister of Defense. Yeah. Secretary makes it sound like he also has secretarial duties. You know, we need more staples. Yes. Yeah. I've got other stuff I got to do, but I also have this task of In- defending the country. Increase the drone strikes in the West Bank and Chipotle for everybody in the White House, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> Barbacoa bowls. And Thank th- you for saving <laughs> us. Now, there's no forks. You forgot the forks. Now, (laughs) (laughs) you forgot the forks. Did you, now are you, when I first started, I would write out everything longhand. I'd have an idea. And then it was like, in my mind, now going through my pen, here's how I'm going to word it. Here's the beats. Here's the pauses. Are you more of a, like, just a kind of bullet point guy and you realize you'll get to those beats eventually? Or how do you, how do you go from there once you have the kind of gist of the bit? I'm a bullet point guy, but eventually you have to write the whole thing out if you're going to do it. I mean, bullet point, you get up there and you get the laughs. You really want to make the joke a piece for television. You should probably write the whole thing out. And just magical things happen. Yeah. The wording changes a little bit. Little little details. uh, You can really smooth it out if you type the whole thing out. Right. So you can get away with just bullet, bullet point at first, but if you really want to take this, if you really want to get into the business of this, you, you want to air your material out and have it be forever, you should probably really write down everything that you're thinking so that you don't lose anybody. Make sure you communicate it the best way possible. Just like if you were arguing with your girlfriend, it's great to write it down. Write it all down <laughs> and don't necessarily give it to her, but read that the next day. and Just hand it to her and go, here, this is how I feel. Have a look. What do you think of that? And then ha- back to me. I'll, re-re- I'll rewrite it. Thinking of bringing that on stage. <laughs> Thinking of how you never you. do the dishes. What do you think of that? Hmm? Oh, man. What I was that? Spelling issues. Um, yeah, I feel that too because it's two different muscles. Like I feel like that kind of riffing in the shower type vibe and just kind of letting free flow thought go. And then I've also done stuff where I do like just little bubbles where I'll write down a thing and draw arrows off of that and go, where can that take me? But it's like a combination of all those things. And then of course the performance itself tells you 
yes or no or that didn't work or whatever but like I've just got it back into the habit now of list recording sets and listening to them again. That's and good too. And you realize, man, that was all mumbled or you're going way too fast or I didn't realize a word of that way. But like just that, that third eye of being able to step out of yourself as a performer and watch it, I find really beneficial too. Yeah, I love the drive home after a set in LA where I just put my headphones in and just drive down sunset and listen to whatever my set was and little things just tiny little details can really change the shape of a joke someone actually uh dave hempstead once a long time ago gave me a line in a joke a joke that i used on the tonight show about an old person at the gym and how he someone someone told uh, you know an old person at gym just uh God, what was the premise? When you enter a hundred on a stairmaster, like you get, you have to enter the, your age on a stairmaster, and a hundred isn't the one of the options. And I thought that was funny. Like if you enter a hundred on a stairmaster, it just balloons should fall from the gym <laughs> ceiling. You sh you shouldn't be you don't you shouldn't have to be in a gym if you're a hundred. <laughs> If I was 100 and someone tried to tell me to do more jumping jacks, I'd say, I'm 100, I invented jumping jacks. <laughs> and Hempstag came up to me and he goes, I knew jumping jack. Yeah. <laughs> and it just was so much better. And tight, yeah, yeah. It was just a subtle twist of that joke. Of the same concept, basically. Well, that's the cool thing about hanging out with other comics sometimes. Like, we did a bit of writing today, which was great to kind of riff with each other. Yeah. And when I first started, I would do that all the time with other comics. We'd have premises, throw them out. Guys would give ideas. And if you had the original premise, it was your bit, you know? Yeah. But I kind of got away with that, got away from that, and kind of just now, like, I just do it on my own and things. And I, I think it's something I want to kind of revisit is writing with someone. And, and it could be different people from time to time. I mean, they, you've got to kind of also trust their process and their sense of humor as well. But yeah. I think there's some value to that too, you know? Because you can have a bit that's been the same way for a year and someone else could go, have you thought about, bam. And you're like, no, I never thought. I never you, need, you, need, you need a sounding board. You can't go out on the road alone. And it's just really hard to just generate material on stage. It's a lot more helpful to generate material before you get up there and then try it out a lot of comedians who don't have a lot of friends just work it out on stage with the right. audience those are their friends right i have a girlfriend which helps yeah <laughs> and it was cool working with you today and hopefully I, uh, one of the jokes you helped me with <coughs> will will generate was the generator i like how you threw generator in there nice Thank touch you. that's a nice callback which we'll call back to the actual name of the podcast itself, the generators, the kind of... The generators. The generators. Yeah, I feel like that's a goal for me this year. And we kind of talked a little bit about um, quieting the noise a little bit earlier today. Like, it's a weird, weird business and career because you don't really have a boss. It's up to you to set your own standards of things. Yeah. And that's that's a blessing and a detriment all at the same time you know the same thing that attracts comedians to being a comedian the freedom no boss do what i want can also be the same thing that can put you in the grave really early because you're not driven no one's got their foot on your back to to generate more to create more to improve yeah and you can get really bitter and angry if you fall down that rabbit hole you know so yeah and you do you you have to ac accept that as a comedian you're gonna fall 
you're going to fall a lot. Mm. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Comedians are, oh, man, they are, they are wonderful souls because they've been beaten and rejected and recovered. And there's, I mean, the, the good ones have gone through all these different layers and you become, uh, you become, you become a very unique person. I, I agree for sure. And I think it's one of those things I realized as well, where you, like for me, a moment of feeling like I made it. People ask me that, like, when did you think you made it? And I think ultimately I felt I made it when I didn't have a day job anymore. Like when I was like, the, the ridiculous things I think of in the shower or at a coffee shop are now paying my bills. I was like, that's it. I won. Like that's that was the goal. Like everything else is great and gravy and a bonus. But I'm like, I get to just use my creativity and my imagination to make a living and travel and meet cool people and have great experiences. And so that to me was making it. I don't know. Did you did you have a moment where you thought the, this is that this was that was a huge goal? I think. Definitely. It took me a long time. I think it took 10 years before I ever was able to leave my day job. So when I did, I, and even then it was so hard still. You just, I just scraped by. Summers, forget about it. Summers, you just broke. Yeah, that's over. <laughs> it's over. So no one laughs in the summer. Did you know that? No one. No one wants to. Nobody laugh. wants to go to <laughs> laugh. There's nothing, no reason to laugh. You're already happy. We're already happy. The sun makes us happy. We don't. Your spot's taken by the sun. You don't. We just have to hibernate <laughs> in August yeah. as comedians, waiting to come out into the fall. So, yeah, that was a big goal. Now, what's what's making it now for me? Oh man. I, it's this constant pursuit of of some kind of respect in this business, right? That's all. Yeah, but I maybe it's my own respect for myself. Maybe I I've made mistakes that I would like to repair with uh, with time. But in in the eighteen years I've been doing it, n this is the same. It's the same thing. It's a sheet of paper that you look at before you go on stage yeah. of chicken scratch. So, I mean, it's really the exact same formula as from the beginning to just get new stuff. Right. It's like a video game, man. You still only got A and B. Yeah, that's right. I only got the A and B button. <coughs> Not that much changes, you know? It's true at the end of the day. but You just get better. You get better at jumping and you get um, better at, you know, getting those coins <laughs> right <laughs> exactly you, f you figure out how the game works you know you know that those some of those pipes aren't tunnels no they're not they're not tunnels Once some of them are those, you know and uh, you can pick up those turtle shells and throw them <laughs> you figure <laughs> that out after 18 years you, you figure gotta, it out you fi it's, i mean it's just like super mario brothers it took me 18 years to figure out how to do this game comedy you know? is exactly like super mario brothers That's exactly I hope people are listening and they realize that about comedy. That's exactly like Super Mario Brothers. The whole, the whole business of comedy, you go right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. You Actually, there's a, real, right. there's, a real, there's a real metaphor. for. Uh, well, I, it's funny you mentioned earlier, um, we'll get ready to wrap this up because we got a, a show to do. But yeah, dude. Big show. I remember, I remember when I did a comedy special for CTV and the Comedy Network. It's one of those Comedy Nows that comedy you also now. did. Comedy Now! Exclamation mark. Bam! Comedy You're Now! Yell it! Comedy Now! 
Comedy now. And uh, I'm at the wrap up party. I'm at the wrap up party afterwards, and some guy in a suit comes up and goes, "Get ready for your life to change." Oh, really? Yeah. And dude, I'm three years into stand up, so I'm like, "This guy knows what he's talking about. This guy works for the network. He's he's seen other comedians clearly." Yeah. And I went back to Calgary and I sat in my 600 square foot apartment and I waited for my career to change. And it didn't, Lachlan. It, no. didn't change. it didn't change at all. I was still in a car going to a horrible bar gig literally a day later. Like it didn't. And I think frustration starts in this business when we have a timeline in our head as to how things are going to unfold. And we put in a certain amount of effort and expect, okay, now this is going to happen. And when it doesn't, we're very frustrated. We're very bitter. Who, so I went, Do you I, remember who said that? I forget who it was. I don't know who it was. But I remember that moment of thinking, this is it. This guy knows. And then you learn, oh, wait now. This career is full of those. It's full of those yeah. moments of this is the moment. This is my M&M mom spaghetti thing. And if I crush it here, it's going to. And you realize, no, no. You want to do well, yes. But there's another moment around the corner and yeah. another moment around the corner. Yeah. You know? Leno said the same thing as me. He said, get ready for the train ride or something to do with trains, I remember. But I had been in the business for like 14 years or something. So when he said it, I was like, um, I'm familiar with this show. <laughs> I know people who have done it. I really appreciate your confidence in me. <laughs> but in my head, I just smiled and, and shook his hand. And he, he was saying it. He whispered it to me as we were taking a photo together. Right. I mean, it was almost like, and I have the photo still, which is great. It cool. reminds me of this train ride that I'm, I still have a ticket for. And it hasn't. <laughs> You're like, I got here on the train, dude. Train like hasn't I arrived. <laughs> I, that's how I arrived here, via train. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I took the train. <laughs> I should get here. That's a, uh, but it's so true. It's, uh, it is an up and down thing, and it's a matter of just perseverance. And Well, dude, it's been great to catch Thanks. up with you. We're going to have a great time tonight. We've got to go on here pretty quickly. Got here. Matt, um, Matt's ready. He's looking in his notes. Matt's like, he's so prepared, far more prepared than we are, probably. Oh, it just says that. Oh, thanks, man. Really? appreciate that. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> doing great. He to himself. Yes. It's just a note he writes to himself. Smart. You're doing great. Uh, yeah, thanks again, brother, and uh, kick ass tonight. You we'll too. To All right. Kill it. Later. That's how it all started. Like a whisper in your ear. You told them you loved them. And ran as fast as you could. It's not to be taken lightly. Then you never were. Your fingers bleeding, your body aches. From the thunder in your heart So you laid on the line Blindfolded and chalk marked Like a good little soldier Knew just what you were Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier, knew just what you were.
to make it over. 